Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Harris Cherokee Resort. Find us online at caesars.com slash harris-cherokee. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. All right, coming up in just a few minutes' time, I am pretty upset about something today. And admittedly, this is kind of a dumb thing to be upset by, but I'm kind of a dumb person, so maybe that's par for the course. It involves Georgia. I'm going to set it up as a way of letting you decide if you're with me on this, my guess uh, is most of you will be uh, UGA fans ready to maybe put up their dukes about somebody trying to sweep in here and and steal something that I personally believe belongs to UGA. We'll do this coming up in a couple of minutes. I'll lay all that for you. You can tell me then at the time. But when it comes to like getting angry in general, while I'll jokingly say I'm angry about this that I'm about to share with you, for the most part, as a person who does a Georgia show, Georgia fan, from the perspective of a fan for other Georgia fans, I, generally speaking, have pretty thick skin. You know, I don't take the bait on every single person who says something negative about UGA. In fact, on the show yesterday, I kind of explained my perspective on why, hey, if you see your team rated below where you think it should be, or your quarterback, as the sub subject was yesterday, JT Daniels, rated below where you think it should be. In a roundabout way, there's a way of looking at that that sort of can be kind of a good thing. It can kind of maybe propel Georgia to where you want it to go. It doesn't have to be, you know, uh, necessarily a bad thing. So I'm not one of these guys that just goes around getting offended every time somebody says something negative about my favorite team. However, there are certain things that when they are said that you feel like that's just factually incorrect. And those are the moments when we're going to say this is something worth talking about. You know, we're not necessarily like, you know, we don't have our feelings hurt about this necessarily, but we are going to roll our eyes at just how ludicrously insane a take like this is. I'm going to give you an example of this. There's a guy named Brandon Marcello who writes 24-7 sports. Brandon's been around the SEC for a long time, covered teams, you know, covered Auburn for a long time, covering the, uh, you know, the, the rest of the league, really the, the, across the country now. And I guess he makes a podcast appearance on – one of the 24-7 sports podcasts or whatever, and I didn't hear the podcast. I just saw the tweet, but I wanted to share this with you. Big fancy graphic for this. I'll put this on the screen. Marcelo's claim about Georgia goes like this. This is the window this year to win a national championship at Georgia, Marcelo says. Now you got this, like, if you're watching a video, you see this. Look at the bold text that comes after this. You know, uh, you know uh, bigger, bolder font, thicker letters. <laughs> They're letting you know how important this next sentence is. I'm not sure that the window is open next season, Brandon Mar- Mar- Marcello says, 24-7 sports on UGA's title hopes. Now, listen, I don't have beef against Brandon Marcello. The honest truth is I don't even really hardly know him. Uh, but this particular claim, as it's shared there on Twitter, is one of the dumber things I think you're going to hear on the basis of this. I mean, because if you take this at face value, here's what here's what you can almost assume that Marcello's statement would would be there. That whether Georgia wins the national championship this year or not, somehow it's not on the national championship radar next season. Now, how's that going to be the case? How is that going to be true? How are we going to get to there to, the, to, the, to that point? Because while we do have some example of team winning the national championship and then kind of falling off the radar, LSU did that in 2019. Ironically, if you're watching a video, you see it at Orgeron's face on the screen there. LSU kind of did that after the 2019 season last year, but for the most part, and we talked about this the other day, if you care about like analytics data at all, my buddy Randy McMichael, the former Georgia tight end said, I was doing a radio interview with them yesterday. He said those analytics sites are all run by nerds anyway. So you don't have to care about the analytics stuff, but let, but let's say you, you do even just a little bit. If you care about that kind of stuff at all, the football power index from ESPN, we talked about this going back to Friday. The top five never changes. There have been, I think, three instances in the last uh, 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 five years, at least been two, I believe there's been three, where the top five at the end of the year for the ESPN Football Power Index were the exact same five teams, and obviously Georgia was one of those. If you want to go back to the last five years, the entirety of the Kirby Smart era, uh, of the usual suspects, the the Georgias, the Ohio States, the, the, uh, the Clemsons, the Alabamas, I guess LSU should be one of those teams there as well. Uh, no, it's Oklahoma's the team. Uh, it's Oklahoma, Ohio State, uh, Alabama, Clemson. Of those five teams, four of those five teams are essentially in the football power index top five at the end of the year every single year. So this idea that Georgia, which is essentially playing at kind of a top five level on the basis of analytics and things like that, the idea that somehow they're just going to disappear off the radar in 2022, I'm honestly not quite so sure how you get there. I mean, 
Yes, JT Daniels won't be at Georgia anymore. And yes, Samir White won't be at Georgia anymore. And yes, you know, you, you presume a guy like George Pickens might not be here either. But are you telling me that Kendall Milton as a junior running back is a team that's not in the midst, in, in the mix for a championship at all? And a uh, a group of wide receivers that includes guys like Marcus Rosemey Jackson and Jermaine Burton, guys like that, that somehow that team's not competing for anything? A quarterback competition that's going to include a, a Carson Beck and a Brock Vandegrift and a Gunnar Stockton, that team's not competing for anything next year? There's no championship window available to that team for Georgia in 2022? That's obviously one of the dumber things I think you're going to hear, and I think it's important to push back on that. However, even in the midst of a uh, of a wildly false claim, there can be somewhat, I don't want to say nuggets of truth, but other things worth considering here for a moment. And this is one of the things that I think, you know, and you know, the guy from 24-7 Sports here is not the only one who said some version of that here this offseason. I know it kind of has the look of being almost like a ritual sacrifice. You build the coach up over the course of a number of years, and then you look how quickly you can see to kind of tear him down. This happens with movie stars and coaches and you know everything else. All you know, all celebrities have to deal with some version of this. Yeah, I think I think the those that have kind of uh, undergone that process here in this uh, off season, I think I think the thing they're getting to is this: is the one thing that you do observe when you watch college football and the way that it plays out over the course of many years, is that there is a price to pay when you don't meet expectations in any given year. I think Brandon Marcello is false when he says that there's so much pressure on Georgia this year because their championship window won't exist in 2022. I just think that's factually incorrect, and I think the recent year's worth of uh, analytics kind of point to why that's not true. But that does not mean that if Georgia falls short of expectations this year, there won't be some sort of penalty for that. I think it comes down to kind of one of two things. Let's say that Georgia's season is a disappointment this year, still a championship contender for 2022 almost by, by any means. But I do think you'll see a certain change with the program if that were to take place. And drawing a distinction between the two things that might happen, I think it's pretty important here. You could use recent years worth of worth, worth of track record for this. Let's say that Georgia in 2021 replicates what it did in 2017. Let's say that it wins the SEC. It makes the college football playoff. Let's say that it plays for a national championship game. Are you going to tell me that Georgia fans over the course of this offseason wouldn't be pretty happy about that for the most part? I think for the most part they probably would. Now you can say, well, that just means that Georgia fans don't have a high enough um, level of expectation. That means they've just kind of watered down their own expectations. You can say that if you want to, but if Georgia does in 2021 what it did in 2017, I think for the most part Georgia fans would be pretty happy about that. But let's say it's a different kind of season that's replicated. Let's say that it's the 2020 season that's replicated. Let's say that not only does Georgia not win the national championship, let's say that Georgia doesn't even win the SEC East, doesn't play in the SEC championship game. You finish in the top 10, you win a bowl game, you can do some nice things like that, but somehow, some way, disaster strikes, Georgia doesn't win the or doesn't win the SEC East, doesn't play for an SEC championship. At that point in time, Georgia is still a contender in 2022. The national writer is wrong to suggest otherwise. But there no doubt would be a lot of anger among Georgia fans over the course of that offseason. It doesn't, it doesn't threaten Kirby Smart's job. It doesn't push him onto the hot seat. But it would injure his quality of life just a bit. And kind of the power and prestige that he enjoys as Georgia coach would certainly be lessened in the aftermath of the 2021 season if Georgia doesn't even win the SEC East this year. There is clearly something at stake for, for Georgia in that regard. However, beyond that, Let's say that Georgia replicates what it did in 2018 or some version of what it did in 2019, where it wins the SEC East, goes the SEC Championship game. And even if it's a if it's a repeat of 2018, where Georgia goes down to the wire with a team that's capable of winning the national championship or Alabama's case, a, a, a team that lost the national championship game that year. But Georgia just kind of does what it's done a couple of times, finishes second best in the SEC, fifth best in the country. You won't see quite as much anger on the part of Georgia fans there at that point in time, but what you might actually experience might be, a de- to a degree, a little bit worse. It's another A word. Instead of anger, you might get a little bit of apathy. You might get a little bit of a, of a response from Georgia fans of, well, I guess this is just the way it's going to be. That notion of, and I hate this phrase, but I'm going to use it because it will be used, this notion of same old Georgia. You know, this is just what Georgia does, and Kirby Smart kind of now inherits the 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 restlessness and fatigue that has existed for Georgia for a number of years from dog fans who are waiting to break through and win a national championship. 
that if Georgia were in 2021 to replicate what happened in 2018 or 2019, you might see some of that apathy cre uh, creep into the program and kind of building the off-field momentum you need in an offseason after that would be just be harder to do if you have an apathetic fan base. So let me kind of sum all this up very much the same way uh, or, or sort of sum all this up in kind of a, a nice, neat package that I think it's ludicrous for any national rider to say, oh, Georgia's not even a contender in 2022. That's how important it is for Georgia to take advantage of its window in 2021. I just think that's factually incorrect. No matter what Georgia does this season, if it wins the national championship, if it finishes a runner-up in the SEC East, no matter what Georgia does this season, it's still a championship contender in 2022. But that doesn't mean there isn't something at stake for Georgia this year. Fan response to the program is going to be colored greatly by what happens on the field this season. You either get anger from fans if Georgia falls way short of its goal. You get a little bit of apathy from Georgia fans if Georgia gets close but repeats what has happened before. So there is still pressure on Georgia. It's just not the kind of pressure that's typically defined by the uh, national media. The good news, though, here is, is that Georgia's had a thousand times uh, opportunities to talk about this in the past. Kirby Smart, the players themselves, they embrace all this. We've heard Kirby Smart say pressure is a privilege. You wouldn't coach at a place like Georgia. You wouldn't uh, play at a place like Georgia if you weren't comfortable with that because the kinds of places that produce pressure are also the kinds of places that are the most fun to play. And that's what all of these guys signed up for. And embracing that, you know, at full speed of this upcoming season, I think you can expect Georgia, its coaches, and its players to do just that. My name is Brandon Adams, and uh, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. We're presented today by Harris Cherokee Casino Resort. It's great to have you with us, no matter how you get to us today. Live on video, 10 a.m., Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch. We're also doing a little bit of a, I guess you call this, I call it a soft opening. Um, a little bit of a soft opening here as far as the show appearing live every day right there on dognation.com. Honestly, we're you know grappling with big tech here a little bit. Facebook does not send out notifications like it used to. Just to be completely honest with you, that's you know kind of an issue here. Some of you like getting those notifications from Facebook. Zuckerberg's not really sending those out the way that he used to. So we're not going to just going to stand pat and throw up our hands up and say, what do you do? We're going to do something pretty cool here. Big new video platform kind of rolling out. Try it at dognation.com. You can see it for yourself. I would say that it's not quite the grand opening as of yet, but we're getting there on that. So pretty fun stuff by watching the show right there, dognation.com. That's already part of your daily habit anyway. Go into the website. You can go to dognation.com and watch Dog Nation Daily presented by Harris Cherokee Casino Resort right now today. By the way, speaking of that, uh, you're looking for a summer getaway right now? Just a two-hour drive from Atlanta. Both the Harris Cherokee Casino Resort properties, whether it's the original Harris Cherokee Casino Resort or Harris Cherokee Valley River. Uh, really fun getaway, mountains of Western North Carolina, terrific casino gaming floor, gourmet restaurants, world-class shopping, luxurious spa, tremendous getaway entertainment options kind of rolling back in there to the Harris properties here there in Cherokee there as well and of course you start thinking about uh the sports book being open a lot of folks getting some action down on the major league baseball all-star game last night you can do that now legal uh wagering right there in uh at the Harris Cherokee Casino Resort properties Harris Cherokee Casino Resort Harris Cherokee Valley River really fun stuff all the way around on that check out caesars.com slash harris-cherokee for more on that that's caesars.com slash harris-cherokee that'll get you in touch with Harris Cherokee Casino Resort you can find out all the great things that are going on there this summer all right I've got uh Mike Griffith coming up in a moment we're going to get into a little bit of a look ahead with Mike about what we might expect to see at SEC Media Days by the time you and I, I speak to Mike again next Wednesday, Kirby will have already spoken at SEC Media Day, so this is a good chance to preview what's going to go down there on that. Before that, though, I want to go around the doghouse here for a moment. Now, let me set this up, and let me tell you what is kind of bothering me a little bit today. And this is the kind of thing, I, for some reason, I just sort of stumbled across this by accident. And as I said before, this is kind of a dumb thing to be bothered by, but I'm kind of a dumb person, so me being bothered by this is probably just par for the course. If you think about the phrases and the vernacular that Georgia fans like to use, there has been one over the course of the last few years that has kind of caught on in popularity, right? Uh, there's a thing that Georgia fans like to say to each other, dogs on top, dogs on top. That's become a little bit of a phrase that that gets used by 
by UGA fans quite a lot. You see it in social media messages. Georgia fans can I say that to each other. It's one of those things that's, I think, been around for a while, but within the last few years, maybe it's because Georgia's being, you know, on top a little more on, on the football side of things than they maybe once were. You're just kind of hearing this, this uh, you know, used a lot more. Now, I won't pretend to be the, the expert in kind of how all of this came to be, but the best I can tell that the origination of this phrase goes back to the great Georgia win against Florida in 1980 when Larry Munson, as a part of one of his you know legendary play-by-play calls, used that in making that play-by-play call. I don't want to give you too much of this, uh, but, you know, just for various reasons, but I want to give you, just for proof of concept here, just for proof of what I'm talking about, this is Larry Munson using the phrase dogs on top in relationship to UGA in 1980. This matters. I'll explain why in a moment. Here's the great Larry Munson. 26 to 21. Tonight. 26 to 21. Dogs on top. We were gone. I gave up. You did too. So there you go. That's Larry Munson in 1980. Great win for George over Florida. But the point here is it was way back then, 40 whatever years ago, that Larry Munson gave you the dogs on top phrase. Now, let me tell you why this matters here today. If I were to make a list of SEC teams that Georgia seems to have the least beef with, I think one of those teams would probably be Mississippi State, right? There's not a lot of great Georgia-Mississippi State moments throughout history. These two teams just don't have much history together. But maybe after this tweet I'm about to show you, maybe that's going to change a little bit. A lot of you know that the other day, Mississippi State won the baseball national championship. The truth is, I was kind of happy for the Bulldogs. They had never won a national championship in a team sport before. It had come close in women's basketball a couple times and had never broken through. I was cheering for them against Vanderbilt because I can't stand Vanderbilt baseball. Most people who follow college baseball can't. Uh, so I was pretty happy for Mississippi State. But then lo and behold, in the aftermath of Mississippi State claiming a national championship in college baseball, they very prominently step on UGA's corner in a way that I find pretty distasteful. Once again, if you're watching on video, I'll show this on the screen. This is a tweet sent from Mississippi State's official account after they won the uh, national championship. They give you the hashtag Hail State, no problem there. The hashtag OmaDogs, kind of a play on Omaha. Once again, that's you know a little forced, but you know kind of clever, whatever else. But the caption for the tweet with the uh, nice graphic from Mississippi State winning the national championship says, dogs on top. What? Mississippi State, who's already kind of, you know, stolen George's nickname, the Bulldogs, now using the phrase that Larry Munson once made popular back in 1980? I mean, I think the only response here from UGA is going to be cease and desist, right? I mean, to, to say nothing of the D-A-W-G-S dog spelling. But, uh, the, you know, the idea that that you know, Mississippi State's doing the dogs on top phrase and that Larry Munson once made famous, I think if you're Mississippi State, you got to stop doing that, right? And I mentioned the, the dogs thing before. We've seen other college teams kind of uh, kind of try to steal that in, in the past. Washington, uh, UW, they once put dogs, D-A-W-G-S, on the side of their uh, you know football pants, which to me is ridiculous because the whole point of spelling dogs, D-A-W-G-S, is that's the way that Southerners kind of talk. People in Seattle, Washington don't talk that way. That's not like the kind of draw they have in their, in, in their accent. So the idea that Washington would be the dogs is the silliest thing I've ever heard. That's just not the kind of Pacific Northwest accents that exist. But the point here is Mississippi State trying to, and I went back and looked at some of their other, other social media stuff. This is actually something that Mississippi State's been using for a little while here. I guess I don't really follow any MSU-centric accounts, so I'm not all that aware of that. But uh, Mississippi State can't be stealing the dogs on top thing uh, from UGA. My uh, recommendation to Georgia would be to have a uh, a swift rebuke of that for Mississippi State that's already trying to stand on Georgia's, Georgia's corner when it comes to being the Bulldogs, to also uh, do that with the uh, – with, with the dogs on top phrase, I don't think Larry Munson would be uh, too happy about that whatsoever. Hey, I'm going to get Mike Griffith coming up in a moment. That is around the doghouse. Let me also give a shout-out before I do to my friends at the Finish Long Drink. This is one of those things where I've been recommending this, and I've heard so much great feedback from all of you who've really enjoyed this and made it a part of your summer. You're at the pool. You're at the beach. You're playing golf, whatever you're doing. You're hanging out your favorite watering hole. Uh, a lot of places now in the state of Georgia to get the finished long drink, whether it's the original or the long drink cranberry, long drink strong, long drink, uh, long drink zero. Easy for me to say. It's also very easy to drink. It's a ready to drink cocktail right out of the can. It, you know, it's not a beer. It comes in a can, but it's really kind of like you pop the top and you're enjoying a great mixed drink. You know, it's citrus flavor, a nice liquor kick to it. You can get the cranberry flavor there as well. It's been popular in a lot of the bars in downtown Athens. Now it's kind of really all over the place. So if you go to thelongdrink.com, 
You can find out for yourself where you can get that today and enjoy yourself some finished long drink. Been in America now for a couple of years. Now it's in Georgia. If you check out thelongdrink.com, you can find out where it is. And, of course, our friends at the Finnish Long Drink love a great party, and I'm happy to say that the folks from the Finnish Long Drink are also going to be with us for Dog Nation Invasion coming up as well in Charlotte to kick off the upcoming season. So that is going to be a ton of fun. All right, before we're done, a little bit of a recruiting note on a target of note for UGA. We will do all of that, and we'll talk about a interesting development for Georgia's Week 1 opponent, Clemson. That's before we're done on today's show. So still busy, a lot left to do. But for now, on everything with UGA, looking ahead to SEC Media Days and a chance to hear from Kirby Smart next week, Let's talk to Mike Griffith here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Harris Cherokee Casino Resort. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. Well, so to Mike Griffith here. Of course, Mike going to have great coverage of SEC Media Days next week for DogNation.com as Kirby Smart gets ready to share his thoughts about where Georgia has been this offseason, what's still yet to be done. As you get ready for an anticipated season for these Georgia Bulldogs coming up in September, very interesting words to expect to hear from Smart next week. In fact, Mike, as I welcome you onto the program, that's where I want to begin with you and spend a lot of our conversation. You know, what exactly do you expect to hear from Kirby Smart when SEC Media Days takes place? We didn't have this event a year ago. We do have it this year, an example of a return to normalcy here. What do you expect to hear from the UGA coach? Yeah, you know, it more of a, it takes what it takes, right? I mean, I mean, this is just where George is at. Uh, I think you know Kirby's made it pretty clear he he's not a guy that's going to go in there and and try and pump sunshine uh, uh, unnecessarily or or without regard. I mean, he feels confident in his coordinator and his in his quarterback. He'll probably point out that you know George actually had an off season with this new coordinator last year. They really didn't. I mean, they were at a tremendous disadvantage when you consider you're bringing in a new offensive coordinator, you're bringing in a new quarterback. The new quarterback you're bringing in isn't even there, as it turns out. Jamie Newman bails out. The other guy you think you're getting, the knee's not ready. You thought it was going to be ready. Uh, you were giving your one reps to two guys that, that weren't even there when the season kicked off. Your starter for the opener uh, is coming off a of brain surgery, for goodness sakes. And you have to turn to a former walk-on junior college quarterback that you know, can't always see over the steering wheel depending on the car he's sitting in. So it was a very difficult situation. And, and on the top of it, he had a very challenging schedule, which, by the way, Georgia managed to navigate without canceling out or, or, or postponing any games. But many other opponents weren't able to do that. So you found yourself at a disadvantage playing a Florida team that was somewhat fresh, only having played one game in the previous three weeks. Meanwhile, you're coming off a knockdown drag out with Kentucky – and, oh, by the way, your team captain got in a motorcycle accident, and he's lost for the year. So the fact that Georgia, Brandon, was able to pull out a top-10 season and a New Year's Six-Day Bowl win under all those circumstances I think was pretty doggone impressive. And yet the narrative's going to be, Kirby, you haven't won a national championship. What's wrong with you? Well, I do want to ask you about what you just said there at the end because – you know, the, I think the average fan doesn't probably care that much about SEC Media Days, but it is interesting for the content that it produces. And, Mike, you know the dynamic that's in place here. You know, UGA reporters will get their chance to ask their questions to Kirby Smart, but there's also, like, the big rooms where you have, oh, yeah. you know, kind of like regional media. In some cases, it's national media. It's It's people who don't have the same deep connection to UGA and I'm always interested in the theme of those questions even the questions themselves individually aren't all that valuable the tone of the conversation I think is telling for how certain teams are perceived I talked about this with Connor Riley yesterday about Dan Mullen I think this even came up last week on cover four live there as well and the same thing I think to a degree is true for Kirby Smart do you get the sense because I talked before you joined us today about you know more of this mounting pressure that, that that gets talked about by media types when it comes to Kirby Smart. How much of the th questions that you think that Smart fields next week from people who don't cover UGA, who may not be quite as plugged into the program, how much of the tone of those questions is on the idea of, of if not now, win for UGA in terms of breaking through and winning a national championship? How much of that do you expect us to hear next week? I think we'll hear some. You know, we'll hear the Alabama reporters asking him about, you know, Nick Saban's never lost to an assistant. That question will come up, obviously. And and we'll hear the Florida reporters want to ask a lot about last year's game uh, because that's what, you know, they do. They don't talk about their coach's show cause or the last three games they lost at the end of last season. 
but but you're, you're going to hear that. You, you know, there's not gonna, there's there's not no one's going to be waiting to throw a parade for Kirby Smart in Birmingham. Okay, he's not going to be put up on the pedestal as a rising young star anymore. He, he's going into his sixth year. He's going into his sixth year, and Kirby set the bar high for himself in year two with the national championship game appearance. That we all know they should have, could have, would have won. Uh, if not for second and 26. I mean, it's just a blown coverage, and uh, I'm sure it keeps people awake at night. I, I, anybody that's coached or played the game and lost in a championship in that form, uh, you, you, you don't forget. It doesn't matter what level it is. And, and Kirby's human, and, and it hurts even more for Kirby, uh, bleeds even more, burns even hotter, because he's a Georgia Bulldog, and nobody wants it more than him. So even though he can anticipate those questions coming, and even though he can know in his heart of hearts that the only pressure that he faces is the intense pressure that he puts on himself, it's still going to upset him to some degree. He, I, I do expect Kirby to, to be Kirby. And he, he's pretty transparent. You know, I, I was joking yesterday on our, on our Dog Nation thread, DA, I don't know if you saw this, but one of my very favorite Kirby Smart moments last year was when Gary Stoken from the Peach Bowl tried to play it off like Georgia wanted to wear their black jerseys, and Kirby's like, no, no, you asked us to do that. <laughs> it was like, Did you, are you guys really having this conversation out loud? Like, Kirby's like, no, you're not putting that on me. Like, you're not going to, because Kirby's going to Kirby. He, he didn't want those black jerseys. He didn't care. But, but don't try and put it on him that, oh, you guys wanted to do it, when he didn't want to do it. He, he's just not going to play nice just to play nice. But he, it's not like he's going out of his way. To be ornery, it's just that you're not going to put words in his mouth. And, and, and these media people aren't going to get Kirby to back down and say, oh, shucks, I didn't do a good job. Because he knows darn well that he's done a very good job. He knows darn well that there's been circumstances outside of his control, like Florida taking two weeks off for COVID, conveniently enough, before the Georgia game, right? He knows that it was bad luck and misfortune that Richard LeCount was involved in a motorcycle accident. And the wheel route doesn't happen with Richard McCown out there. And Lewis Seen being injected in the second quarter. Suddenly you're missing your two starting safeties? Yeah, Dan Mullen takes advantage of that, you think? Uh, pick plays, hello, anyone? You know, but Kirby's not going to make excuses. But at the same time, he recognizes that Georgia is taking care of business, Brandon. They're building the facilities. They're recruiting like gangbusters. They're developing players. Last year they had more players drafted than ever. We know that next year they'll set the record again, probably 10 of them. You say he's got problems with quarterbacks? What are you talking about? They're lined out coming out the door. JT Daniels, Carson Beck, Gunnar Stockton, Arch Manning, busy. Georgia has plenty of quarterbacks. So the outside world's perception and narrative doesn't match the reality. And I think this was the point you were making. It really doesn't match the reality here in Athens. But sometimes I feel like this area that I live in, we kind of have a bubble over it. And, and even some things can get a little misinterpreted between here and Atlanta, it seems like. But the national media, to your point, I think they are way off barking up the wrong tree, talking about now or never and Kirby Smart with added pressure. He's got pressure every day he gets up because that's just Kirby. Well, I, I agree with a lot of what you're saying. I guess the one thing that I would say in response, though, is, is that the one thing – that I think does put a little pressure on you, Jay, this season is certainly it's a much different offseason conversation a year from now. If you see some sort of replication with the last couple of years have been, I mean, I think it'll be outright anger from UGA fans. If some disaster were to occur and Georgia doesn't win the SEC East, I think there could be a degree of apathy. If it's another year where Georgia kind of looks like the SEC runner up fifth best team in the country type thing, that there is a certain quality of life that you have when it seems like you're on some sort of schedule for achievement. And if there's more evidence that, that Georgia has somehow fallen off that schedule, I mean, it's certainly by no means put Kirby Smart on the hot seat, of course, but I, I do think his quality of life would be injured by that a bit. Comparison is the thief of joy, Brandon. There's many schools other than, other than Alabama and Clemson. There's really nobody else that can make the case that they've had the sort of success that Georgia's had the last four years under Kirby Smart. Four straight top ten finishes. Yeah, you're in the SEC. You can be the second-best team in the country and not even make the playoff when you're in this league. Do I think Clemson was really one of the top two programs? No, I don't. Do I think Ohio State even belonged in the playoff? No, right? But do I think Georgia would have beaten Ohio State last year in December? Absolutely. I think Cincinnati might have beaten them, too, for that matter. That's an undefeated team. They didn't make the playoff. But to your point, 
uh, I understand that perception can overtake reality. And that's where the national narrative can be dangerous when it gets repeated enough times. Now, this is where I think it's worth mentioning that we had Paul Feinbaum on Dog Nation. You, you saw it. You heard it. Paul Feinbaum champions Kirby Smart. Paul Feinbaum picks JT. You know, so the SEC perception, I don't think the SEC perception necessarily matches the national perception. I think last year you can look at the schedule. Miraculously, Florida didn't play Alabama, even though they were on schedule to play. Right. And amazingly, the way, you know, we talked, I talked about that schedule. The writing was on the wall when that SEC schedule came out. Now, this year, I think you make a good point because this year, after the Clemson game, Georgia's schedule is decidedly light. Now, I say that and, and, and I don't want to, I don't want to take away from those hogs and Sam Pittman because they gave Georgia one heck of a battle last year in Fayetteville and they're going to be even better this year. Now, I don't know where Georgia and Arkansas will be when they meet in, in October, early October, but I, to me, that's a game you circle and say, that's one you got to watch. You better look out for Sam that week. Those hogs are going to come in here and play you tough. Auburn's a bit of a wild card on the road with Brian Harson. Uh, I don't know if he learned how to recruit yet. I do think he's a good coach. New offense, though. And if they're thinking Demetrius Robertson is going to give them a significant impact, then I don't know how much of a threat they really are. Certainly the Florida game you mentioned, it's in Jacksonville. We could talk about that uh, on other occasions, whether it's uh, too far away or you know whatever. That's a game they should win. Um, I think Georgia should win the East. Now, as far as winning the SEC championship game, the West is just such a mystery to me. Alabama was such a reload after losing six first-round players. Bill O'Brien and Bryce Young and RPO – I mean, this, uh, you spin the wheel here. I don't know how that one's going to come out, right? Uh, Saban always seems to come up big, but you just wonder if sooner or later the odds catch up and it's something. So I've got questions about the Tide's offense. Their defense is very good. Where will they be in December? Will this be the year for A&M, right? A&M's got to replace some skill guys. But Jimbo Fisher's been there a while. He's making $75 million. Got to be some expectations there, too. Is there another what Could LSU bounce back. They certainly look good at the end of last year when they beat Florida in the shoe game. And Max Johnson's a pretty good quarterback. And, and, and they got another guy there. Pretty, so I, I, I have questions. But as we sit, as things stand right now, if you're asking where I'm putting my chips on the table, I'm putting them on the Georgia Bulldogs to win the SEC. Okay, and I, I, that, that, that's all fine. But I guess one thing that um, I hear from there I want to get some clarity on is, I mean, you would join me in saying that while it's not national championship or bust for UGA, if Georgia doesn't win the SEC as hard as that is, if Georgia doesn't make the playoff somehow, some way, however you would, would get there uh, in some form or fashion, it's an it's an unpleasant offseason next year for Georgia. Fairly or not, the 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 tension that exists in the offseason conversation in 2022, if something like what's happened in the past replicated this year, fairly or not, I think it leads to, a, to an unpleasant offseason uh, around UGA because of that. If you have another year that looks similar to what previous years have looked like, you would join me in saying that, right? I, I would, I would, that's one thing I would agree with that you're saying, Brandon, as you would say, just in <laughs> one of your phrases there. You know what I think? This is going to sound crazy, but I think there's a little bit of sports psychology involved here. And, and, and tell me if I'm wrong, but the Georgia, and this is my fourth year on the beat, right? And I kind of got a feel for the Georgia fans. It's kind of like that Atlanta Braves things of the 90s, right? I was covering the Braves back in the day. Uh, when I worked in Anderson, Alabama. You know, the Braves were a great baseball franchise. They were a great franchise. They were fabulous. I think many of us all, they, we have wonderful memories of, of Smoltz and, and, and Maddox and Glavin. And, and the, you know, but at the end of the day, the Braves kind of left you hanging a little bit. And I kind of feel like that's what's happening with George. There's a lot of great memories. There's a lot of goodness. There's a lot of high quality. Proud to be Georgia fans that I hear from every day. But it's got a little bit of that Braves, can't you just finish, right? I think it's too early, but I do think that there's a fear there, right? I think a lot of Georgia fans and Atlanta fans are, are kind of a little warped from that experience, like going through a bad divorce, right? You're like, yeah, I've kind of been here before. I'm a little, little testy here. Yeah, this is different. Okay, Kirby's different. It, it, this isn't the Braves. This is the Georgia Bulldogs. And the, the recruiting is good. The momentum is good. And if the biggest problem in your life is that you're a top-10 team every year, that's not so bad. Now, to your point, Brandon, I do think that you got to win the SEC this year. I think you got to win it if you're Kirby with the team as things stand. Now, that's barring a lot of things can happen with injuries. 
Okay, we've seen that happen before. So you know, if something crazy were to happen, you'd say, "Oh well, then obviously if they lost player A, B, and C, you know." But as things stand, this is a Georgia team that I believe should win the SEC largely because of the addition of JT Daniels. I mean, that was a unbelievable wild card. I, I still can't get over, and I think you remember the day. Well, I don't remember. We were all minding our own business when when just JT Daniels is coming to Georgia. It was like a it's like a meteor fell out of the sky or something. It was like what. What, where, how, when, why? You know, but that addition, that sneaky addition, is what sets George up for a championship season. And then, and then, your guy, the guy that you were the first to recognize, number 99, Jordan Davis, when he decided to come back, we all said, you know what, that's it. That's it right there. And Devontae Wise said, I'm coming back too. And he said, okay, double trouble. Now the dogs are loaded. I think that's why we sit here and say, Georgia needs to win the SEC this year. All right, Mike, good stuff. Look forward to reading a whole bunch more from you at dognation.com in the days ahead. And, of course, talking to you here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Harris Cherokee Casino Resort, again very soon as well. Thanks for your time. Appreciate it, B.A. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing that comes up there in the discussion with Mike in, in, in this matters is that a lot of this is not a binary thing. It's either – well, Georgia wins the national championship or it never competes for a national championship again. That's a false premise. It's the kind of premise, it's the kind of phony deadline that is pushed on for like sort of try-hard riders. I mean, that's uh, that's all that is. Is It's kind of the, the sort of the false phony premise that, that things aren't quite so binary. You know, it's either all the way on this side or all the way on that side. There are degrees of truth contained within those two, you know, far ends of the spectrum. And it is quite possible for Georgia to do things this year or fail to do things this year that change the way that Georgia fans feel about the program next year. Because while what has happened for Georgia over the course of these last five years has been a great ride, it would be foolish to assume that well, you could just continue to replicate this same level of success for another five years or the five years after that and have Georgia fans respond to it in the same way. That's just not the case. You know, Mike makes the comparison near the Atlanta Braves. I lived through that. The Braves were in the... When, when the Braves won the National League West for the first time in 1991, the start of that run, I was in the eighth grade. So, I mean, I've pretty much lived through all of that, the Atlanta Braves. And the mood of Braves fans did change with that over the course of that time. And at a certain point, unfortunately, there was a degree of apathy that set in there. So that's that's the kind of pressure that Georgia faces this year, not from national media, but, but to kind of maintain the enthusiasm that exists around the program that's when you've got to take that step. And national championship isn't the only step there. If Georgia gets back to the college football playoff, if Georgia were to hoist an SEC trophy again, something that back in 2017 felt really special. I mean, it's almost like the, the weirdness of the Rose Bowl, as great as that was, it, it obscures the fact that, you know, Georgia holding up an SEC championship trophy in December of 2017 was a pretty big deal in and of itself. I still think that matters. Yes, we're in a world where the college football playoff seems to suck the air out of so much of the college football conversation. But thankfully, you know, we all follow a league where that championship trophy for the conference still means something. So there's a way to, to do that in a way that you'd have plenty of enthusiasm, uh, you know, from Georgia fans. But unfortunately, the end of season results the last couple of years, 2019 and 2020, they probably don't quite get you the same level of juice next offseason as they kind of still allow the program to have right now. There is there is a little bit of need to show some progress, to show some taking of some steps. And as I said before, I think that I think the Georgia coaches and players fully embrace all of that. That's why you want to come to a place like Georgia, because the greater rewards are going to take place for the kind of programs that also have the greater pressure. And so everybody kind of knows what they've signed up for there in that regard. By the way, before we move on to our SEC through, let me also quickly give you a little bit of an up update on our Kroger five-star kids promotion. If you go to dognation.com, you can find out about this great collection of gift cards. I'm talking about it's like $250 worth of gift cards that the Kroger five-star kids winners are going to get. You can do this at dognation.com right now, and you can learn all about, uh, you know, the deadline. We're actually taking those uh, entries right now. So if you want to nominate the child in your life to be a Kroger five-star kid, you can go to dognation.com, find out about that. Coming up very soon on the program, we're going to start announcing those winners. Plus, in addition to the five Kroger five-star kid winners we're going to have, we're also going to have like 50 kids who are going to win a Dog Nation 
Kroger Five Star Kids t-shirt. That's going to be a really cool thing there as well. So if you're ready to submit your entry, go to info at dognation.com. You can do that. Or go to dognation.com, learn more details about that. Cannot wait to tell you more about that in the days to come. By the way, to show you how quickly, as we transition to our SEC through here, to show you how quickly things can change for SEC coaches, let me point out the latest piece from Dennis Dodd there at cbssports.com. He does this every year. I think it's kind of fun. It's his hot seat rankings. Obviously, seeing someone lose their job in any walk of life is not necessarily fun. You know, nobody likes that. But but obviously, judging and measuring the the way that the pressure cooker around these various coaches changes from year to year is certainly a, a source of interest for many people when it comes to college football. There's no doubt about that. And Ed Orgeron, the 2019 national champion, who last year, according to Dennis Dada, was at a level of zero in terms of his hot seat ranking, which according to Dodd's on scale, on scale, made him untouchable, now finds himself at a level four. So he goes from zero to four on Dodd's on, on scale, which means that according to Dennis Dodd, he says he needs to start improving now. Now, let me read this really quickly, and I'll give you a couple thoughts on this. And we'll do, we'll do more of this this afternoon on SEC Country Live. Uh, Dodd says of Orgeron, part of this is the curse of an undefeated championship season 2019. He says there's arguably nowhere to go but down from there. However, few predicted to fall to 5-5, five and five, even with a COVID-19 uh, intervention. LSU had to win its last two games just to reach 500. A self-imposed bowl ban was uh, followed. Then came sexual assault scandal. They got the interest of the state government. Uh, Orgeron refused to testify in person. He goes on about the Title IX lawsuit that happened there. And all of uh, that leads Dennis Dodd to say this, the LSU this season should start at least 3-1, and one, but it must at least contend for a New Year's Six Bowl. Short of that, it could be a rocky one. So that's an example that things can change very quickly in the SEC. And in the case of Ed Orgeron, as Dennis Dodd points out, a lot of that is related to some off-field turmoil that Orgeron's dealt with. But, but obviously, the Orgeron story here, the timeline that he's undergone over the course of the last few years, is an example of that SEC pressure cooker. Now, here's the prediction I'll make about Orgeron. I think that LSU will still be good enough this year to quiet whatever Dennis Dodd cites there in talking about a um, a little bit of a hot seat intensity for Orgeron. I think they're going to win plenty of games. I don't think they're a true threat to win the SEC West. They're probably no better than the third best team in that division. But being third best team in the SEC West in a year like this ain't nothing. That's, I think, pretty clearly a top 25 team. I think they may you know approach even being a top 15 level team. That's a team that kind of brings something to the table uh, in all of that. The one thing I do want to see more from Orgeron just as an evaluator of the SEC, not a fan of the Tigers themselves. One of the things I do want to see a little more from Orgeron, though, is there's too much drama. D Dennis Dodd points out the really serious part of this with lawsuits and you know sexual assault and things like that, which is just grotesque. But even the less serious stuff, you know, players transferring out, the most recent being Dare Rosenthal. You know, the weird stuff that Sadiq Charles put out on Twitter the other day, the former LSU offensive lineman. Some of the stuff that goes back to last year with the opt-outs. We don't make too big of a deal about opt-outs because COVID was a weird thing to deal with back in 2020. But it just seems like there's a lot of player drama. Players exiting the program from LSU to say nothing of Eric Gilbert, who now finds himself at Georgia. And the I would say unusual and, and, and frankly disappointing way that Orgeron, you know, handled all of that. I thought that Orgeron put words in Gilbert's mouth, and I think that caused some former LSU players to kind of lash out against Gilbert publicly. I think Orgeron ought to take some blame for that. So I'd like to see Orgeron uh, reduce some of the drama around LSU in addition to winning some games, which I believe they will do. But interesting to see Dennis Dodd really shining a spotlight on Ed Orgeron right there. Let me also say this very quickly. Dalen Everett, the uh, four-star defensive back, getting ready to make his college announcement here coming up, he puts that on Twitter and has – this is a, 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 you know, a little older now. But he says he's going to be committing on July 17th. I wanted to mention this because I did ask Jeff about Everett a couple of weeks ago. We really haven't talked about him very much on the show. Uh, it's one of those things where I feel like we kind of need to mention it. I, I guess I don't really get the sense that Everett's coming to Georgia, although it certainly seems like that Georgia is in the mix for uh, Everett right now. I guess you'd include Clemson, UNC in there and all of that. And I was also thinking about, speaking of UNC, which seems to be a player for Everett right now, Everett, of course, from IMG Academy. There's a lot of IMG you know, ties to, to the University of Georgia, so some of those guys may be trying to work on Everett here a bit. But... Um, but, you know, we'll kind of see where all of this goes. 17th here looms in a few days. Georgia, at least one of the hats on the table for Dalen Everett. Maybe that's a, uh, a story worth watching there. A couple other things here really quick. Uh, did you see where former Georgia baseball uh, commit? And 
I guess you'll call him a Clemson quarterback signee, Bubba Chandler, was also taken in a nice spot in the NFL draft. The Pittsburgh Pirates selecting Chandler there. This is a, a little bit of a blow to the Clemson backup quarterback depth. Chandler, of course, is from uh, North Oconee High School there in Georgia. He was taking the 72nd pick. I think there's some thought that Chandler is now gone. He's going to sign with the Pittsburgh Pirates here. So that takes him the quarterback depth away from Clemson. I believe they also had another quarterback drafted as well. I think Will Taylor uh, was either drafted or expects to be drafted here. I guess it remains to be seen what he's going to do, but it looks like Chandler's now gone from the Clemson program. So that's one of that's George's week one opponent now getting a little thinner in terms of their quarterback depth with the former UGA baseball signee heading to uh, professional baseball after being drafted by the uh, Pittsburgh Pirates. And then uh, former Georgia kicker Bruce uh, Brooks Boos. Uh, I think that's how you say his last name. I apologize if I'm mispronouncing that. Uh, he put out a nice message on social media that he's heading for a new football home. He's going to play for Troy. So uh, Boos uh, going to be heading there for, to uh, play for Troy and be a kicker there. He had a nice message on social media about the, the time he had at UGA and the excitement he has about his next uh, chapter there with uh, Troy. So obviously I know a lot of UGA fans will be wishing him well as he gets ready to do that. A former UGA kicker on the move here, finding a new home, and uh, hopefully he'll make some big kicks there for uh, Troy in the uh, upcoming season. So as we get ready to wrap up here today, let me do that with our uh, Gator Hater roll call. Obviously, we like to cite you know the Gator Haters in our audience because we believe a good Georgia fan is a Gator Hater first and foremost. Sometimes, though, the golden shoe, the award we give out during our Gator Hater roll call, sometimes that's for different things. Uh, today's an example of that. Danny Aldrich had mentioned this to us on Facebook the other day. We were talking NASCAR. I'd been to the NASCAR race, and you know uh, DeAndre Swift drove the pace car, and some fans were like, boy, I'd love to see a UGA-themed NASCAR. You know, maybe having Chase Elliott, noted Georgia fan, driving one. And Danny Aldridge says, going back years ago, there actually was a UGA-themed NASCAR. And he sent me a picture of it because he has the die cast of this. First of all, I love everything about this. The Georgia G on the front, obviously. But as a child of the 90s, the starter logo in the back panel is also really cool to me there as well. That is certainly speaking my language there, too. So, Danny, thanks for sharing that with us. We'll make you our golden shoe winner for that. Gator Hater Countdown, speaking of the lousy, stinking Gators, 108 days from right now. We'll see you tomorrow Dog Nation Daily, presented by Harris Cherokee Casino Resort. And on the podcast, I'm now the R.S. Andrews Podcast Cool Down. We'll take a couple of your comments here on both uh, Twitter and at the comment section at dognation.com. I'll kind of bounce through uh, some of this here. A little bit, of course, thanks to R.S. Andrews, making it all possible. You can find them online, rsandrews.com, for your air conditioning, heating, plumbing, and electric needs. Uh, Rambo writing in at DeShow803 on Twitter about the subject of UGA program, something that we discussed the other day, not athletic programs like football team, basketball team, whatnot, but actual pre-printed programs in the stadium. And, you know, I, I told you during the show the other day, I don't want to sound like the old man on the porch about this, but I do, and over the course of the years, have enjoyed collecting programs. I just believe that, that football fans, sports fans in general, are collectors by nature. I've always in love, I've always loved collecting the programs, the ticket stubs, big, big holder of ticket stubs throughout the years. I'm really proud of the, those that I've collected. In a lot of ways, it tells the story of my life, right, as a sports fan. Many of you feel the same way. I've also, through the years, been a baseball, football card collector, things like that. In the name, image, likeness era, I'd love to see uh, a college football card set produced so you could you know, buy sports cards of the Georgia football players. I think that'd be a really fun thing to be able to do. And so while I understand the reasons that Georgia's not pre-printing these programs anymore, it's probably really, really expensive, and I'm sure they're less popular than they once were. As an advertising mechanism, I'm sure they're also less popular there as well, which is what really it's always been about. Um, I'm, I'm sure it's less popular just for, for a number of reasons. I have always just really enjoyed them. I've got you know old ones at home, autographed by Charlie Trippy and and Fran Tarkin and some of the greats that have come through the Georgia program. And it's one of those things I'm really proud of. That kind of stuff. I mean, listen, I'm not going to tell you I'd never sell some of my collectibles, but some of those things like that that have far greater sentimental value than they actually have financial value. You better better believe that some of that stuff I probably wouldn't sell for any price whatsoever. So there's a lot of ways in which as the world gets more and more modern each and every year that sports gets better. But there are certain things that I think I enjoyed as a youngster that I'm kind of wondering, you know, what my kids will have as a as a mechanism to replace all that. It's not obvious that they're going to have anything, at least when it comes to those kinds of things. And uh, I think being a collector of sports stuff is a really pretty fun thing to be able to do. J-Dog 8 on the subject of the game on the field. Going back to the the topic from yesterday of how many touchdown passes 
um, uh, JT Daniels can throw, says that JT Daniels' touchdown numbers are skewed a bit through the four-game sample. They could have thrown as many as they wanted against South Carolina, but they didn't need to throw the ball, so he only ended up with two that game instead of four more. And again, Cincinnati had another easy one to George Pickens, but Zamir White whiffed his pickup in pass protection, so he gets hits as he throws. It leads to that interception in the end zone instead. He says over a four-game sample, looking at touchdowns is actually not really helpful. Touchdowns are the least consistent stat in football, just like JT could have easily had a few more touchdowns. He could have had a few less if things break another way. Uh, J-Dog8 says if he only has eight over four games, that would project really low, but if he had 13 over those four games, he would look like uh, Joe Burrow and Matt Jones. And I think here's the point on this and a couple of things here really quick. I think when it comes to, well, he could have done whatever he wanted against South Carolina, I think the word could is doing a lot of work there in that sentence. I'm just not comfortable making any kind of projection like that. The fact of the matter is he didn't. Now, the South Carolina game plan I do think was was kind of its own animal in that um, – yeah, Georgia ran the ball for 10 yards to carry there that day, and I think that Georgia was just content to get out of Columbia with an easy win. But in the game against Mississippi State, which was really the big statistical performance of uh, JT Daniels' four games as the Georgia quarterback, Georgia only scored 35 points in that game. So it's an example of a lot of passing yards, moving the ball down the field. Jermaine Burton came very close to setting a single-game record for receiving yards. There was a lot of stats being compiled, but Georgia still only scored 35 points there in that game. As far as what happened on an individual play in the, um, uh, you know, the Peach Bowl, you know, somebody whiffing on a block and that led to this, that, and the other, that's a level of analysis that I'm just not comfortable making myself, and I'm not comfortable, like somebody else saying that I'm just not, I'm just not quite so sure I buy into that. I mean, you know, th- there's a lot of people who try to say, well, it's obvious on this play, whatever happened, but you know, if you watch the actual, you know. You know, former NFL high-level college players, you know, doing their own film analysis from time to time, they're a lot less likely to be sure of whatever may be happening on any, any given play. So, you know, I, I'm always going to approach anyone's, you know, analysis of what happened on film in any one play for a Georgia game. I'm just going to approach that with a great deal of skepticism. I think you'd have to be a Georgia coach or a Georgia player to truly know what may have happened and who is to blame on any one play for what happened. But the point is. That once again, you know, in, in the in the four game set for Daniels, he had a lot of yards thrown for, and his completion percentage was very high. His yards per attempt number was very high. I think, I think the point about the touchdown number being a little lower is that even in a four game set that has that is thought to be so good for Daniels, some people would say, "I'm not sure you can continue that over the course of a full season." The point here is, even if he did continue that for a full season, it'd still be less touchdowns than the best quarterbacks in college football throw. And this is not an insignificant thing to point out because, while this is going to sound like an overly simplistic point, the fact is the touchdown passes are always the hardest throws to make. On a short field, you just have less green grass to work with, so therefore it's hard to throw a touchdown because there's just not a lot of open space to put the football and on a longer field, that's the one throw the defense is always trying to take from you, making sure you can't beat somebody bad over top, right? So the best quarterbacks will throw a lot of touchdowns. And, you know, this is one of those situations where Daniels, an admittedly very, very talented quarterback, inherits a Georgia program that also in recent years just hasn't thrown a ton of touchdown passes. You have to really go back to the to the Aaron Murray era to find a quarterback who was really lighting the world on fire in terms of the number of touchdowns that he was throwing. And all of a sudden now, that starts to feel kind of like a long time ago. So that's a little bit of why maybe there are some doubts out there about uh, JT Daniels. And um, I, I do truly believe the way in which Daniels causes that scoreboard to ring this year is going to go a long way towards you know quieting some of those doubters in this upcoming season. But it's great comments. Uh, I appreciate the feedback, and I love the uh, chatter back and forth. And you can continue to do that. Hit me up on Twitter at DogNationDaily or drop your line in the comments section there at DogNation.com, and we will uh, have that discussion. Thanks so much for that. Big thanks to R.S. Andrews for making it all possible. Find them online at rsandrews.com. Y'all have a great day, and I'll see you back here tomorrow for Dog Nation Daily, presented by Harris Cherokee Casino Resort. I'll look forward to talking to you then.